Fox Sports Indiana, and you're listening to Small Town Sports Talk. Hello and welcome to Small Town Sports Talk. I'm Andrew Willett, again, very excited for another special episode, this time of Small Town Sports Talk, brought to you by Endeavor Communications. It's the Indiana Pacers, and to do that, I have with me today Tony East, a beat writer and writing for the West Indianapolis Community News and Forbes Sports and podcasting on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Tony East. Tony, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm looking at Andrew right now, everybody. He's got this fancy black background. I feel like I'm not worthy to be here. I don't even have my camera on. I showered today. This is this is all out of whack, but it feels great. I'm glad to be here, man. How you doing? I know. I'm sure you're looking great behind the, the black screen. <laughs> I, I'm doing so great. And well, except, you know, this is a Pacers podcast this time. Tony, I'm a huge Celtics fan, so after Ooh. the game last night, I'm 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 okay. Yeah, the I'm, Lakers I'm Celtics is Kemba. I thought he had it, man. That's his shot. The step backs from mid range. Oh, yeah. I thought he was gonna hit that. It, good look. Probably like could have taken a timeout, but that's that. You're probably not gonna get a better look than that one that Kemba got right there. So anyway, let's get right into this Pacers season. Uh, how's it been for you? Uh, obviously, we had the bubble. We finished up the season last year like that getting back into the swing of things, but no fans. How has uh, your job been different as a Pacers reporter? Yeah, the Zoom era is very interesting. You know, to, to me, it's not like so different. I don't want to say it's the same because it's clearly different. But the biggest difference for what I do is when we were able to like be a foot away from guys in the locker room, when the beat writers are asking questions, usually we'll ask like three in a row, right? We'll ask one and then we'll like follow up on that and then kind of like an adjacent question and you'll get a lot from that. Whereas now it's all hand raising and calling on people, right? So you're only going one at a time. So it's kind of harder to get like deeper into answers from players specifically. I mean, the games were a little farther from the court. So it's a little bit harder to notice some of the stuff that you're able to notice in the past, but mostly, you know, the, the game watching experience is similar. It's not that much farther away. And you're still, you know, the PR department for the Pacers is amazing. They make it very easy to still have access to guys, ask the questions you need, get the stories you want to get. So it's, it's just different for sure. And it, you, know, you get a little bit more surface level answers from guys, but uh, I still enjoy the, the Zoom era a little bit. It's nice to be able to do, you know, do it in whatever setting you're in. Or, you know, if I'm at work for my non-basketball job, I just walk out to my car on my phone and I'm interviewing Karis LeVert all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Like it's just crazy, crazy stuff like that. So it, it's got some pros and cons that I like, and it's definitely been different, but uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, full arenas again and locker room access and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, how has the season been for the Pacers with no fans? And also, I assume you've been at the games. Like, how how is that weird that arena? So they just about a week ago, a little less than a week at Sunday, a week ago, started letting in I think a thousand general admission people. I think tonight they play the 76ers will be their third game with GA, maybe fourth. So before that, they yeah they had no public sales. It was just like family of Pacers employees and players. Uh, so, it, you know, there were like 50 people there, but it was very interesting because the, people don't really know this. Like a lot of the noises you hear on the broadcast of like the fake fans and stuff is actually in the arena. It's not like Fox sports is pumping that oh, into really? the broadcast. Yeah. It's in the arena. So it's still pretty loud in there from all that noise and stuff like that. But uh, you know, they have the mascot doing his thing and they do, the, they do a lot of the in arena stuff still. So it, it feels kind of authentic when you're there, despite the, there's no actual people and sure, then recently. Sure. Yeah. And then recently the season ticket people came back and uh, you know, like I just said, the GA um, 
tickets have gone up. So it, it feels a little more authentic now, but yeah, the, at first it was just kind of eerie, you know, it's like, man, there's only 50 people watching this basketball game in the stadium. It was kind of creepy, but once you get used to it, it just, it, it all felt a little normal. And now, now there's like clapping and cheering and people boo when there's a bad foul call and all that. So it's feeling a little more genuine, but you're seeing just a massive building filled with no people is the most interesting part, honestly. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Uh, I know that had to be eerie, but you're right. They are admitting more fans now. And how do you think they're going to go about that? Are they going to have more fans in the building uh, moving forward or what do you think? They most recently, it's kind of strange because COVID's still not getting any better. And, you know, I'm not really pro adding more fans. They just announced they're adding more to the balcony, which I thought was kind of weird, especially given, you know, the state of the, the state, the country, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I understand they need to make money and keep people employed. Like it's a very tough, delicate balance. And to be fair, I will give the Pacers a lot of credit. It's very safe in the stadium. You're never close to anyone. You're not trying to be close to or with everyone who's sitting in this crowd is super far apart. I'm sure they've done all their research. The NBA has literally millions of dollars to put into safety research. You know, I, I trust all that. It's just like a, kind of an optics thing for me where, you know, like Sekou Smith, the famous NBA reporter passed away like a week ago and the Pacers had back-to-back tweets. Like one was like, we're welcoming fans into the balcony. And then that, you know, I think I uh, Zach Harper. That. Yeah. Sent that screenshot out, you know, so a little weird on the optics part. Like I, I get it. I get it. I get why they're doing it. And I'm glad that people can come watch the team and, if it's safe and if it's safe for people who are already vaccinated, like go do it. Yeah, that, that, sure. But it's just kind of weird. But for me personally, it, the media area is very safe and I'm very far away from people. So I, I'm still choosing to go and I'm able to, but if you're not, you know, if you're not able to, and you're listening, please don't go is my advice. But um, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's certainly an interesting balance, the league, and this isn't just a Pacers problem, right? Every team has to deal with how they sort out the balance of money and fans and safety and all that. So I guess that wasn't a direct criticism of the Pacers, but more so just how the league has to handle it. Well, it's definitely a, an interesting situation, but hey, more people watching the team, the team this season. Let's get right into that now. First, I want to start out, though, with the offseason. Not a whole lot of moves. You made the trade to drop TJ Leaf's contract. Uh, and uh, well, first and foremost, you fired, fired your head coach and hired uh, the Raptors assistant, Nate Bjordan, Bjordan, excuse me. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, that move, but really not a whole lot going on in the Pacers offseason. Um, pretty typical, I think, for what, what fans could expect of the Pacers. What did you think of their offseason coming into the season and uh, how did it turn out? Yeah, their paths were only, but there were basically only two paths I kind of thought they would take given the reporting kind of leading up to it. One was the the Gordon Hayward path. I'm sure you Celtics fan uh, were, were familiar with how that shook out and what that was. So uh, that was one option was try to get the improvement that way. And then I think that was actually kind of what they were pursuing at first. Um, but they also knew that as soon as that was unavailable, okay, we're, we're rolling it back. We have no cap space. We're kind of close to tax already. Let's just, we, we, we were really good last year. We just had some injuries in the playoffs we really like our coaching change like let's just keep the same guys it's easy with our restrictions so that's what they did and that kind of felt like what was going to happen to me you know samson gave them good minutes they brought him back on the minimum justin holiday really likes it here gave them great minutes they brought him back on a good deal you know all that made sense there wasn't really a lot they could do outside of trades and once the hayward thing didn't materialize there was nobody available that made sense for the stuff they were willing to give up so yeah running like you said running it back kind of made sense and it's kind of how they operate in general uh, in the past. So 
the coaching change and keeping that continuity is what they were banking on making them good and keeping them relevant in their top. I think they're third in the East technically right now, but like two through four separated by like half a game. I have the standings pulled up here. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Tied for third. Yeah, so, you know, if they lose tonight, they're fifth now, you know, whatever. It's it's all a mess from two to five, but it's kind of working. It's it's the bet they wanted to, you know, avoid the plan, maybe get a top three seed so you're not playing one of these other talented teams in the first round. So, so far, the bet's paying off. We'll see as all these teams stabilize, but, you know, COVID makes stability really hard for a lot of teams. So the fact that they've avoided that's been a big factor in their success so far, but I think that their offseason was – pretty reasonable given their constraints and they're doing a good job with the team they have so far. Absolutely. I saw a lot of uh, Pacers fans really uh, thinking they needed to make some moves. Always fans are always going to want some moves to yeah. happen, of course, but uh, a lot of people I, I saw like maybe thinking that could mean the Pacers should go down this season, uh, maybe not be as high as they have yeah. been. And here they are still one of the top teams teams in the Eastern conference uh, so really how important has that continuity been and, uh, tell me how has Nate Bjorgren done as the head coach? Yeah. There were a lot of people who had them, uh, seven or eight seed that, you know, they won 50 yeah. something games last year. Like that didn't make any sense to me, but you know, I, whatever. Um, yeah. Continuity is, you know, this is the time when it, when it shows up is the first 20 games or so when every other team do- that doesn't have it, you know, they make silly mistakes and they're feeling each other out and stuff like that. And the Pacers can beat, you know, the Celtics and the Warriors and the and the Blazers and all these good teams. They're uh, they're able to uh, the Raptors and uh, I, mean, I guess the Raptors haven't been that good this year, but you know they're able to beat these good teams that had more turnover. They have the Sixers tonight. I think that's the best team that have played this season. But that's where it's, it's going to stand out. And you know, even as they continuity is kind of weird because a lot of it is you understand the tendencies of the guys you play with. Uh, from last year, but they changed coaches and their scheme is completely different. And a lot of their sets are different. So how much of that familiarity actually matters when stuff is still different, but you know, I think it was Brogdon. I can't remember. I don't want to speak for anybody. Some of the one player mentioned that continuity has been helping them recently a lot, you know, like when their set dies, they just know exactly like, Oh, Sabonis screens for this guy. And someone's open over here, blah, blah, blah. You know, that they understand all that part. Well, so it's definitely helping them, but I think the new coaching change kind of, lessened the impact that it would normally have but the coaching change has been a positive so in general those two things meshed together have the impact that continuity would have had anyway so i think bringing back the same roster has been good for them and eventually that will wear off like i said eventually all the other teams will catch up and be familiar with each other but it's been helpful for them early in the season as they transition coaches yeah they absolutely got out to a hot start the pacers did and bjordren like like you said been a positive on the offensive side of the ball and really haven't seen a whole lot of downfall defensively. Um, and in large part, that has to be due uh, to Miles Turner, who, and we, we talked about the continuity, but obviously a huge blockbuster trade will get into that and missing a few guys uh, due to health reasons. Um, so how has really uh, Miles Turner been this season and why has he been so much better or at least more in the spotlight to national NBA fans. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. You know, I think every team, including the Celtics, ironically, are probably asking that question because he was on the training block this summer. And I think it was Zach Lowe of ESPN reported, you know, you know, the Celtics kind of like surveyed his value around the league and they weren't that impressed. That's part of why they didn't want him. So now he's in the spotlight because he's been really good instead of being in the spotlight because he's not in a deal. And I think that some of the discourse around him kind of motivated him this summer and, 
He's talked about how defensive player of the year is his goal, and that's motivating him. And tonight's his first massive test with Embiid, if Embiid plays. Oh, I think he's sure. questionable right now. So the first thing that's helped him a lot is their new defensive scheme. They used to, with Dan Burke as their defensive coordinator, basically under Nate McMillan, have him in drop coverage all the time. And sometimes he wouldn't really be as engaged with the ball. He was more, you know, just staying around and being ready for pick and roll coverage. And then, you know, he was still good at that. Like he was a really good defender in years past, but he wasn't as around the ball as often this year. Nate Bjorkren's just like ball pressure, disrupt the ball, 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 go to the ball. And so guys get beat a lot because they're running and being frantic. And so miles Turner's role is more this year, like cover up those errors, slide around the paint, cut off drives, cut off guys who get beat, still protect the paint. So he's just involved in a lot more around the ball, which, has made his block numbers go up a ton. And, you know, he's still the same guy at, at causing shots to be challenging. So because he's defending more shots at the rim, you know, his, his defensive impact numbers are going up and all that combined just show he's really shown his value defensively in the scheme. And on offense, Bjorkren's got him energized and confident. He's making decisions right away, moving the ball, shooting the ball, whatever. There's no thinking. He's just really playing. He's really confident. And even if the offense doesn't stick, and I think he scored over 20 points in four of his last five games. That might be wrong, but something like that. Uh, even if the offense doesn't stick at that high of a level, his defense has been so good. You know, he's probably been one of the best three defensive players in basketball that he's going to be a huge guy for the Pacers the rest of the season. And I, I give Bjorken a lot of credit for not, not only having a defensive system that's good, but one that really caters to the players he has. Absolutely. And not only defensively for Miles Turner, but you've seen a lot of improvement from several players. I want to ask who has been the most improved player for the Pacers. This oh, season? wow. That's a good question. You know, you could argue Turner because of the scheme fitting him really well. Sabonis looks a little better than last year. Brogdon looks fantastic again. Brogdon's an interesting one because if you look at it, just comparing his stats from last season to this season, he looks a lot better, but really early last season, he was about this good, maybe a little lower. And then he got hurt and kind of trailed off. Man, the most improved pacer this year. I'm really, I'm really wrapping my head around this. Maybe Doug McDermott. Um, That's one I'm gonna ask you about him. I just wrote about him, so I've got some stats fresh in my head. But you know, Bjorkren and him uh, have a good relationship. He's driving a ton. Like his drives per game, his first two years with the Pacers were like hovering right around two. This year, he's at like four and a half, right? So basically doubling that, those numbers, and that's a lot because. Bjork can trust him to attack and come off these screens. And he's finishing all these layups. So he's been really energized offensively, but defensively he's kind of overmatched in this system. And, you know, I, it, it's hard to say because Warren hasn't played at all. Uh, Karras hasn't played at all. Jeremy Lamb looks really good. He could be one that, that gets most improved. I think right now I'd pick Brogdon because he's, he's stretching his really high impact out longer than he did last year. The longer this maintains, the easier it is going to be to pick him. But McDermott definitely is in the top two in this answer. So, Brogdon McDermott are my top two, but honestly, Turner, everybody looks a little bit better at certain things. The only guy who's been probably worse is Aaron Holiday. I think everybody else has been as good or better than last year. Well, the holidays, I'm going to ask you about all of these guys because the Pacers <laughs> really have a lot of uh, the what I've been told. They don't have necessarily have an A guy, but they have a ton of B guys. Yes. Just a really a quality basketball team all, all around. So let's start with uh, Malcolm Brogdon. We just hit Miles Turner. Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, can he be an all-star this season or I've even heard all NBA maybe. Wow. Uh, all NBA is probably tough. You know, there's a lot of good guards in the NBA. He could, it, it, I mean, he's, he's killing it this year. I did my own all-star rankings as of right now, uh, you know, obviously they'll evolve in the next month or whatever until the all-star break actually happens. 
And it's probably like the last spot in the East All Stars. It's either Brogdon or Sabonis. Um, I think Brogdon's been better. Hard but, to pick between the two. Yeah, you know what? I understand people who think Sabonis has been better. And from a voting perspective, if I'm like zooming out and not being a Pacers beat writer, the guy who got it last year is going to get more votes, right? Just because of reputation. So Absolutely. I think Sabonis is is probably more likely, but I think Brogdon's more deserving. So. What, you know, what, whatever, we're splitting hairs there. But yeah, Brogdon's been ridiculous, you know, hitting pull-up threes and running the offense and being clutch and setting up teammates more. I think he's averaging more assists than last year too, which it's just crazy. I mean, he just, he looks so much better. It makes no sense. I don't, I don't really notice like any particular shot that I'm like, wow, he didn't have that last year, but he's just making way more of them and looks a lot better captaining the offense. So he, he's been just fantastic this year. And his defense being more aggressive instead of, you know, the passive keep guys out of the middle, Nate McMillan style has been better for him. So he, he just looks really good this year. Absolutely. Uh, Brogdon uh, must be that that system helping him out. Another guy really early in the season, I definitely noticed this, but injuries have kind of gotten in the way is Sabonis, uh, the guy that you just said could be challenging Brogdon for an all-star spot. Sabonis, I heard him as like uh, MVP. Like I'm pretty <laughs> sure Bleacher Report tweeted something out where he was like, an honorable mention or something like that. But uh, Sabonis, why has he been so much better? How has he improved this season? Ball, The ball is in his hands all the time. I think he's first in the league. Okay, so some of it's that he plays so much, like 40 minutes a game. But Oh, really? Uh, I didn't I even think, know that. I think he leads the league in touch, like total touches, right? He okay. has the ball all the time. And that's because yeah, he only has one game. He played 10 minutes in one game because he got hurt in that game. But uh, that's really dragging down his minutes per game. I think he's been over 34 in every other game he's played. So he's just playing a ton. But, yeah, he, he has the ball so much, and that's because he's good every time he's got it. He can post up. He can pass to other guys. He sets off some screens. He's good at handoffs. So he makes everything easier for everybody. Why not have him be the hub? And so early in the season when he was getting the MVP buzz, right, he had 32, 22, 19, 14, and 25 points in the first in their first five games. And he paired that. He's had a double-double every game he didn't get injured in, right, like, that alone is ridiculous. And he's got oh, yeah. two triple doubles. He's passing well. Like he's just, they can trust him with the ball in his hands and he's really good at making plays. And that, that, you know, that, that passing big style is really hard to defend. And like when he has young centers matched up on him, I, it just cracks me up because the way basketball is played now, like there's no post-ups anymore. So he'll post up like Mitch Robinson. Mitch Robinson's an amazing defender, but Mitch Robinson never defends post-ups. So he has no idea how to stop it. Right. Like it, that kind of stuff yeah. just cracks me. So he just has such a unique skill set, and he's good at so many things that he's just so hard to stop, and he's he's really good. He's he's probably the best offensive – no, not even probably. He is the best offensive player on this team, and that, just, that gets him a lot of credit and gives him a good shot, like I just described, at being an all-star again. We are going to pause right there for a quick advertisement. We hope you're enjoying this show. Thank you. Jonah, do you know what is ridiculously fast? What's that, Andrew? Endeavor Communications Internet Speeds. That's right. In Indiana, basketball is everything. And if you're anything like Andrew and I, you were always streaming basketball, your favorite sports, or just your favorite shows. And hey, you're always going to need Wi-Fi. Ridiculously fast. Endeavor Communications provides Wi-Fi perfect for watching the big game, streaming your favorite shows, working, studying, and gaming all at the same time. Not only is Endeavor fast, but when you go with Endeavor, you support the whole community. Endeavor Communications is proud to serve and support our local community from homes, education, businesses, Endeavor will keep you ahead of the game. You can find out more and see for yourself at weendeavor.com. That's weendeavor.com. And tell them Small Town Sports Talk sent you. Yeah, I've heard like uh, 
a discount version of Nikola Jokic, the Eastern Conference version. <laughs> uh, didn't some more freedom in the Bjorgren offense. It's got to be good for him. Another player or, or two I want to touch on here. We'll start, uh, go ahead, and again with Doug McDermott. I've heard he's been uh, really a lot better, uh, like more mobile, better athlete this season. Do you know what work he put in in the offseason to uh, get to this point? And whoever's telling you info about the Pacers, they're just spot on every step of the way. Yeah, yeah. So I got I got all the anecdotes here because, again, I just wrote about him. But he was in Phoenix in the offseason, and Bjorkren came and visited him because right after the Pacers hired Bjorkren, he just, like, traveled around the U.S. and met with all these guys, right? He met with Vic Tiroladipo in Miami, which – that's not important anymore now, but anyway, he met with uh, Miles Turner in California and Brogdon in Atlanta and Sabonis in LA and uh, McDermott was in Phoenix. I think there were more, but I just, I know the locations of all the guys I just said. So he's in Phoenix with, with McDermott and McDermott finishes this workout and he's like, shoot from farther away. And then he's like, you know, you come from the left every time, come from the right. You know, all this stuff that, that McDermott's like, what? Like, you know, you want me to work on more offensive stuff? Like obviously his defense has been the problem in the past. So yeah, they're just they're just like letting him do whatever. You know, he he's driving all the time, and he guys are really overplaying him because he finished fifth in the league in three point percentage last year. So he just up fake, put it on the floor, bucket, and back cutting guys. And McConnell can find him anywhere. Sabonis can find him anywhere. And because he's so good at threes, like it's easy for guys to just throw him the ball in the perimeter. The fact that he's driving and handling the ball so well just has made him so hard to guard this year. It's been it's absolutely crazy how. A, how much a three-point threat can help other people. And he's just they, – they're really good at – Bjorkman's really good at using McDermott in a way that just lets him be good and helps other guys be good. And in tandem, it's just made McDermott awesome. Like, he started games this year because of injuries, but still, like, that he's been yeah. good with that group too. Just everything about his game has been better. And, yeah, he does look more athletic. The, the Hornets announcers, when they played the Hornets a few nights ago, were just yeah. like – what is happening? Like Doug McDermott had three dunks and I think in one game and they were like, what, what is happening? Doug McDermott, what? Like, he's just been that guy this year. He's been super good. Good for Doug McBuckets. Happy for him. Um, one more before we touch on the huge trade at the holiday brothers. Uh, you said Aaron's not doing as well this season, but I know Justin has been pretty good. Yeah. Justin. Uh, I mean, I can't believe they got him for as cheap as they did this off season. I, I, I get, I kind of get why actually, but you know, he just, if he's, a, he's 40% from three again. And that was the big thing for me was like, his defense is good. So he's probably worth the deal he got anyway, but if he can still be a 40% shooter after being one last year, his, his contract's a steal. And he has been, he's taking five a game. He's hitting 40% of them. Um, that makes him valuable on offense, especially because I think it's still, yeah. So he's still at 64% from two point ranges here. So he like McDermott's been good at, Oh, they're running me off the line, shot fake dribble 15 footer. He makes it so often this year. So he looks really good. He started over half the games again because of injuries, but has fit in fantastic with that starting five. Aaron, on the other hand, yeah, uh, I can't really explain it because a lot of people thought he would really benefit from a Bjorkren system of a lot of aggression and drives and finishes at the rim, but he's shooting 35% on the year. And, you know, a lot of his shooting efficiency was propped up by good three-point shooting in the past. He's not hitting his threes this year. They tried to start him a few times, and because he only got about five shots with that starting five when he was the fifth option, he didn't fit. Now with the bench, he's not making anything. He's just he, he's lost a touch passing that he's had in seasons past, and he's combining that with, with worse finishing at the rim than he's ever had. I think he's at like 50% at the basket, which is weird. He was at 60% his rookie year. So wow, things just aren't clicking for him. I'm not sure what it is. You know, For a while, I, I defended keeping him in the starting five because I just thought, 
you know, we've seen him be a good scorer and shooter before. Like the shot will come around eventually, and then this will be fine. Like this is a good role for him. But it's been 20 games, and the shot hasn't come around. So it's really hard to de- to defend him playing more than he is now. So I, I get why he has got a long leash. He's been the best draft pick of the last five years for the Pacers, which is kind of alarming. But yeah, he just something about the the system, and the, you know, the, they want to go to the rim and finish at the rim all the time, and. Uh, which is fine for most guys, but he's really struggled with that. And he hasn't been the passer he was in seasons past. So he just hasn't been as good in, as he has in the past. And it's, it's kind of strange and his development's kind of important. So they're going to, you know, keep trying to get him out there and get him going. But so far it has not been pretty. Sure. Yeah. And so really uh, going from there, we got to break into this uh, all depot trade. Obviously the biggest block, block bus, Buster of the season, excuse me. Um, but the Harden trade to the Nets and then the Pacers and the Cavaliers both hopping in there. And really, I think those were the two teams that probably won the trade for the most part. The Cavaliers got a great amount. And then moving on from Victor Oladipo, someone who was the face of the franchise, um, what, what has that transition been like? You know, I, I it's kind of weird how – like right after it happened, there was a lot of talk about it because it was it was the story, right? They traded a franchise icon, but they haven't really missed a beat. And I, I know they all liked Oladipo, the player. You know, I, he was very popular in the locker room. Nate Bjorkren said he was not a distraction this year, which can be the case when stars are potentially on the way out. You know, they, they've had a good relationship this season, but I think everybody sort of knew or maybe had an, a hunch that he wouldn't be on the team next year and that the team could trade him as a result of that. So really hasn't had any ripples on the team, but I think it made all the sense in the world. They thought he wasn't going to be here next year. I thought that if they knew that they would trade him before the trade deadline. So I, was I surprised it happened after 10 games? Yeah. But um, trading a franchise icon is always hard, but given that, that they knew he might not be back and reporting from former son's GM, Ryan McDonough of all people that uh, he was declined a contract extension. Like, yeah, they have to trade that guy. So yeah. that's why they did it. And they liked Karis Levert. They apparently uh, had engaged the Nets on him before or like asked the Nets about him before and they, and they heard or learned that they couldn't get Karras straight up from the Nets. But they learned that in this three-team trade, they could get him via the Rockets. Yeah. Maybe similar value that they were going for originally. So they you know, were happy to jump in and make all these pieces swap around. And obviously, you know, it completely changes when you discover a guy has cancer in the middle of a trade and all the optics. You know, who cares about what happened before and what value you have on the guy? You, you might have saved his life, but – they got the guy they wanted and they, they moved on from a guy that probably wasn't going to be on the team and they acquired some other assets too in that deal. So I one agree with you that the Cavs who traded a crappy first round pick for Torian Prince and Jared Allen made out like bandits in that deal. Absolutely. That was, that was incredible. But see, yeah, I think if, if it's really true that the Pacers do like Levert and they tried to get him from the nets and couldn't before, but they were able to, because of this whole big deal, I think they, they did a good job to step in and do that. And I think Karis is pretty good. It'll help them when he's ready to go. I don't know when that's going to be for sure. So I'm not going to speak on that, but I think it was a good deal value wise for them. Okay. Well, we will still get into, uh, I don't necessarily have to ask you about uh, when Terrace LaVert is coming back, but we'll get into Terrace LaVert and the health of this Pacers team, TJ Warren and more. But I have to ask one more question about Oladipo. He recently, Houston's had a, they've been pretty hot the last, I believe five damn win streak uh, yeah. after last night. Uh, Oladipo, uh, came out in the post-game interview and said people are quitting on him, much to the to the dismay of Pacers media and indie sports media. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, you know what? I uh, I did comment on that at the time. This actually is the first time I'm like talking about this in a media setting. Um, I don't care is my first answer, but you know, he's allowed to think whatever he he wants. You know, I don't I don't really have a problem with that. Like, I get it. They, he got traded. You know what I mean? Like, any player probably thinks that the franchise that trades him quits on him, even if they didn't and they had all the reason not to. Like, I get him feeling that way and. There's some negative reinforcement involved. That said, I don't think the Pacers quit on him. You know, they, they clearly were. If, if McDonough's reporting is true, which I, I think I believe it to be true, um, then they, they, you know, they tried to keep him. They tried to not quit on him and grow with him even farther into the future. And so I don't, I don't view that as quitting on him. Um, so I get why fans are really upset about that comment, particularly like a guy didn't want to play for your team. And now he's saying the opposite thing is true, right? Like, yeah, if I'm a fan, I'm like, screw you, dude. Like, come on don't do that. But, you know, I, from, from the side of, you know, I really liked covering Victor and I really like speaking with him and I totally understand why he feels that way. Even if it probably is, is a little facetious, I, I, I get it. And I, you know, again, I don't, I don't really have a problem with the whole situation. Although again, I, I don't be, I don't fault fans for thinking the way they did. Right. Like that would be a total shot to the heart. If you were like, what, what do you mean? My team quit on you. You quit on us. So I, I totally get why it became a big, big kerfuffle and things like that. But I, I personally didn't have a problem with him saying that. Now about the return from that trade, uh, Luz Aladipo, you get Karis LeVert back. How important uh, is, or how great of a piece is Karis LeVert uh, to this Pacers team moving forward? I like Karis a lot. He's really good. Uh, he's had some really high scoring games, right? I think he had a 50 point game last year, a 40 point game this year. Clearly very talented. too. It was against Boston, the, the oh, 40 yeah. pointer or the 50 pointer? The 50. <laughs> of course it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he's clearly talented as a scorer. Um, the Nets have talked about, a lot about his playmaking improving this year. A lot of that's just he's had the ball in his hands more because prior to the trade, you know, Kyrie missed time, Kevin Durant missed time. He had the ball a lot. But anyway, you know, he can do a lot of stuff Oladipo did, albeit probably not quite at Vic's level. He's pretty close, though. Uh, so I, I think they like that about him. They can keep him around for more years and develop him. He's only in his fifth year. That's the year that Depot took off for the Pacers. So he's definitely good uh, and can help them. And I think he's got his bag of tricks is just a little different than Depot's. You know, he's not quite the shooter, but he's a little bit better of, you know, being crafty in the lane. Like Vic was a really good driver yeah. his first year with the Pacers when he was all NBA, but that really fell off recently. So he was still, Vic was still good this year, but he could basically only get to the rim and finish. He didn't really have a, a pull-up game or a floater game. Karras is amazing at the pull-up and floater game. So looking forward to that. And, I think he's a little bit better of a playmaker than Oladipo right now. That's close. That's really close. Um, Oladipo is really good, and he definitely took steps forward this year after a really t- bad season last year. But I think Harris fits well in a, in a similar role and can score a lot, can set up Sabonis. If he can run the pick and roll with Sabonis, he'll just be a great fit by default. But um, yeah. just everything else, I think, is icing on the cake, and he's a pretty good defender. Not, again, 2017-18 Vic was, like, amazing. You know, Karras will never oh, yeah. reach that level, but – the level Vic was at now, I think Harris is very close to, and the team was rolling <laughs> early this season and sometimes even with Vic last year. So I think he fits pretty well. Uh, they, they don't, you know, it's pretty seamless there. And I think they like that they can develop him. He's still mostly young. I think he's 26. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a good fit for them and a good fit for their timeline of, of all the other guys they have on the team. So I'm looking forward to seeing how you can do uh, after surgery and coming back and playing. Uh-huh. Yeah. The health of the Pacers. Uh, moving forward, but I, I, a question for my co-host. He really wanted to know what you thought. Is the team better with Karis LeVert or Victor Oladipo in the spot this season, assuming LeVert can come back? This season? See, Vic was good this year. Like, 
it's yeah. it's very close. And Vic's been I think he's been killing it for the Rockets, like statistically. I don't want to it remember that night of the interview. So yeah, he had 32, uh 22 on 22 shots, 13 on 16 shots, right? So that's kind of what he was with the Pacers. Some really good games and some really rough ones. And then 20, 25, and 20 since then. But he's taking a lot of shots. He's definitely been the lead ball handler for the Rockets. Uh, when John Wall came back, that last game he had 20 on 14. I think that's probably where he'll end up more often than not. But I think Vic probably a little bit better this season than, than Levert. Not, not a lot. Um, just a t- Yeah, yeah. It's very uh-huh. small smidge better this year mostly because of his defense uh, I think they're pretty similar offensively like Depot's a little better score Karras is a tiny bit better passer uh, but Vic's a little bit better defender so I'll probably give the edge to Oladipo but that's a pretty close one I think right now but you know Vic's got a chance to rehab his body and continue to get better uh, and Levert will have the same opportunity honestly but I think Victor's got a little more room to grow upward than Karras this season now in future two seasons who knows Vic will be 30 in the middle of next season uh, so then it'll be a little closer but uh, I think probably the rest of this year, I think Depot will have higher, uh, higher skill level and that would have been better for the Pacers, but that's not why they traded him. Sure. Yeah. But had to look forward. And, but now you have Karis Levert. Uh, he's had some health issues, just like all Depot. Uh, the trade pretty amazing that it like a lot of people have said it could have saved his life right there. So uh, won't ask you again uh, when Levert come back, but now TJ Warren, what is his time frame looking like? Look like, and uh, how's he doing? So to go to Levert for a second, uh, Kevin Pritchard did say before it was kind of announced that it was cancer and that they were going to remove the tumor from his kidney. That he said he said he's optimistic, uh, a guy in general. So this could be too optimistic. He said maybe six to eight weeks he picks up a basketball. Not that he's playing in games, but that he's you know maybe on the, on the road to playing in games at that point. So if I had to do it, if I had to estimate Levert, maybe like mid April or something, but that's not a timeline. That's just me guessing based off of what Kevin Pritchard said on the radio, not even to reporters, TJ Warren. Great question. I've asked many times about TJ Warren's timeline and they do not like to release one. I don't really know why. I think that means he's probably out for a long time. Uh, he's an indie and a team has a rehab plan for him. Nate Bjorker. And every time he's asked, says something to the effect of like, we have a plan for him and he's following it and it's a diet plan and a rehab plan and blah, blah, blah. And like, okay, awesome. Like when, how, how long is it? <laughs> I can't really answer that, but yeah, he had foot surgery. Um, they have a, I don't know if it's necessarily like super intense or anything, but apparently it's pretty rigid if they're talking about it being dietary and, you know, uh, muscle and bone or whatever, but apparently he's got a pretty rigid rehab plan and he's on it now. And, you know, he talks often with Bjorken. I don't have an official, like, Expect him back at this time. Timeline, foot injuries are finicky. They can take forever, right? Like, Bull Bull had the same fracture in college, and he missed basically the whole Oregon season. So it could be a long time. Uh, I'm not really preparing to see him before maybe April or May. So we'll see. But I, I that's just a guess. I really have no idea with him. Now, now moving forward, we're just going to say end of the season, you've got LaVert back, you've got Warren back. What is that Pacers rotation looking like? Lever and Warren back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, starting five will be their best five players, which is Brogdon, Lever, Warren, and the two centers, Sabonis and Turner. Now that Sabonis and Turner are fitting better together this year with an energized Turner, that group's going to be awesome. Uh, Brogdon's been really good too. The bench is a little more dicey, right? We already talked about Aaron Holiday struggling and you know they, they kind of want to play Goga Batadze, their second year center they drafted last year, but 
they have two good centers above him. So I don't know how often they can even get him on the floor and maybe they'll go smaller once they have their fully healthy team. So I think the starters are obvious. I think, I think what they'll do is go with McConnell and Aaron holiday and uh, sheesh, Justin holiday and McDermott for their second unit. But I would understand if Goga got maybe five minutes in there and something I said earlier, Aaron holiday is really struggling. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they put Edmund Sumner in the rotation over Aaron holiday. I don't know that that's going to happen, but I've been a big Sumner fan his whole career and Aaron holiday has been struggling. So that's a possibility, but I'd imagine it's the starters I named in those four guys, but, but Bjorken does mix it up every once in a while and expands his rotation every so often, just because he's, you know, something he said before the season is he doesn't want to get to the playoffs and then roll out a lineup and they just never play together and they're just really stuck. So he kind of mixes and matches. So maybe it'll be a little different than that, but that's what I'm envisioning when everyone's healthy. Oh, and Jeremy lamb. Holy moly. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, take Aaron, Holiday, take Aaron Holiday out of there completely and put Lamb in his spot. But it's it, they, they got a lot of guards that, that can play. So, How has Lamb been doing off of the ACL there? Very good. Incredibly good, actually. I'm, like, stunned how good he's playing coming off of an, an ACL tear just a few months ago. I'll pull up a stat really quick. He only had one, like, dud game since returning. He's averaging 14 points a game on less than 10 shots. Uh, already playing back-to-back, started twice. He looks great. It's, it's really remarkable. I, that's why I forgot about him. He's only played six games. Yeah, Aaron Holiday will not be in the rotation if they're fully healthy. Gotcha. Absolutely. Well, looking at that team, that's a pretty solid team. But do you see any other needs for this Pacers team? Could you see them making any moves at the trade deadline, maybe trying to pick someone up? Uh, uh, you know, they can always use a four. They don't, like – They've been really struggling. I mean, every team struggles with like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George types. But you you watch the Celtics a lot, right? Tatum killed the Pacers both times. Absolutely. Jalen Brown did really well. And like I just said, Paul George and Kawhi did well. And Luka did really well. I'm trying to think of some other guys who, you know, played. Oh, Harrison Barnes, a random one. Uh, Harrison Barnes had a really nice game against the Pacers. So I I mentioned those guys. And I consider all those guys to be forward-sized guys who are also powerful in the way they play like Gordon Hayward is really good too and he's forward size but he's not necessarily so powerful right he takes a lot of pull-ups and fadeaways in the mid-range he's a little more finesse he didn't kill them as much but those powerful forwards they don't have an answer for because they're quick enough to beat Sabonis and Turner off the dribble and then Justin Holiday is kind of skinny so he can't really handle them like Justin Holiday did a pretty good job on Hayward but he can't handle those more powerful guys so, a, you know, maybe a stocky four could really help them. I don't know how many minutes they even have available to, to give a guy like that, but that could help. And then some fans want this. I don't, but come playoff time, if there's foul trouble, Goga will be, Tadze will be getting some backup center minutes. And a lot of people don't think he's ready for that in a playoff setting and would maybe consider that the team should chase like a veteran backup five. I don't think that's necessarily an issue. Jakar Sampson filled in in the playoffs last year, just fine. So maybe on that, but I'm going to go with no. So I would say just like a stocky four, but again, it's going to be really hard for them to even play a guy like that. So it's kind of tough because like you said, they have so many B guys that, you know, like getting a C guy who fits a need, like he won't play, but you can't get an A guy without giving up some of your B guys. So they're kind of in an awkward spot right now where, you know, I think they're kind of just going to run it with this roster in the playoffs and see what their needs are and maybe assess next year. And what's the ceiling for this roster, this Pacer team? Depends what seed they can get. I think they can get to the second round. I don't think they. I don't think they're good enough to beat any of Brooklyn or uh, Boston, or maybe Boston, but Brooklyn and Milwaukee for sure uh, in the in a playoff series. So probably Boston and Philly as well. That's tough. So if they can avoid one of those teams in the first round, I think they can definitely get to the second round. But I don't think they can make the conference finals. So I'd say a second round ceiling right now, and 
if they do another terrible playoff performance like the last two years, they'll probably have to make some uh, big roster changes. We'll see. Yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, <laughs> now let's look real quickly before I get to our 60-second speed round brought to you by Endeavor Communications. Ooh. Just 10 fun questions for you. Real quickly, though, I want to go around the rest of the NBA. Uh, are you able to watch uh, any other teams outside of the Pacers? Do you have a favorite? I try to watch lots of other teams. Um, I don't think I've not caught any, a few teams. I've only caught twice this year. I don't think I have not caught anyone. Anyway, I really like watching Denver. Uh, Jokic is just a hoot and Murray's struggled this year, but um, you know, he's always fun too. The jazz are on like a million game win streak right now. They've been a blast to watch. Um, so those are two teams that I've, I've caught a fair amount recently. The Rockets since the trade, I've tried to keep up with Depot and John Wall's my favorite player ever surprise. So <laughs> I watched a lot of Rockets this year and that's, that's really, I think the teams I've watched the most heavily Sands Pacers and the East uh, hasn't been as wide ranging. Fortunately, uh, they play a lot of at, at the Pacers at the same time, right? You know, just time zones and that's how it works. Uh, I caught a lot of the Hawks because you said earlier, a lot of people were ranking the Pacers low in the East uh, before the season started. And a lot of that was because the Hawks got better and people are putting the Hawks yeah. above them. So I've watched a lot of Hawks. They're, they're good. They're legit. Um, so that's been fun, but, yeah, I think my favorite non-Pacers team to watch this year has been the Nuggets, even though they haven't been as good as they had last year. Well, that's another team like the Pacers who need a, a four, a, a yeah. four to definitely guard some of those premier players that the Pacers and Nuggets just don't quite have. Definitely, yeah. Jeremy Grant was big for them, and I get why Jeremy Grant left, and I get, you know, they tried really hard to keep him, but, yeah, Paul Millsap's slow now, and – Michael Green can only do so much. So I agree with you. Yeah, it's gonna be tough for the Nuggets and uh-huh. the Jazz. The Jazz are in so interesting because they've got the defenders, but they're just like I that can't my, explain it. That was my three seed coming out of this uh, off really? for the West. Oh yeah, I, like I don't them. remember where did I have them exactly. I can look it up because I actually, I, I actually typed my rankings down for once. I usually don't do that. I, I, I actually, did too. I, I can actually reference uh, where I had to. I had the Jazz uh, sixth. My, uh, I can't believe I put them behind the Blazers. That was not smart of me. But oh yeah, I, uh, I had the Warriors uh, like four or five. I think. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, the, the you know the, the Jazz have definitely been better than I thought, and they have a lot of very. I can't explain. I'm wor- I always worry about them in the playoffs, but they look amazing right now. So, so uh, before I uh, ask about the MVP of the league, I want to ask who is the Pacers MVP. <laughs> Jeez, it's Brogdon or Savonis, and I will always say Brogdon, mostly because, like, my core beliefs of basketball require that I think that a lead ball handler being good is like the most important thing for teams to be awesome. And while Savonis has the ball all the time, Brogdon's a lead ball handler and initiates a lot of offense. So I think Brogdon's been the MVP, but it's it's him or Savonis, and they're so close that either answer is fine. Absolutely, and then the MVP of the league so far this season, I know a lot of teams sitting around. 500 at this point like a lot of teams more than usual due to all the quarantines and everything covid related but who is the mvp of the league the sixers lakers both doing well jazz you mentioned who is it before the season i picked uh Embiid as my second place mvp guy so i want to oh. say him right now because he's been awesome but i think the three right now are Embiid, Jokic, and lebron are the top three in some order yeah uh i i could hear any of them Honestly, you know, the Nuggets have the record their last, but I think individually, Jokic has been the best of those three guys. Giannis uh, has been really good, but worse than in seasons past, and he's not going to win because of voter fatigue, right? Like, it's just not going to happen. And Luka, who was a very popular preseason pick, the Mavs have been pretty bad. So, yes, they are. Hard, hard to give him the, the nod there, too. So, I think I would pick Embiid right now. 
Um, but I, I would, I think it's one of those three guys, LeBron, Jokic, Embiid. I don't, I don't know which one I think will end up winning it, but right now I think it's Joel Embiid. I like it. All right. Now to Who's yours. <laughs> My MVP so far. Oh gosh. No one's asked me that. I'd probably go <laughs> with LeBron at this point. Yeah. That's a great pick. Yeah. He's been amazing. Uh-huh. All right. Now for our 60 second speed round brought to you by Endeavor Communications who sponsors this podcast. Make sure to check them out. But Tony, we've got 60 seconds. You got 10 questions. Try and get through as many as you can. I wow. Art the timer. Hey, they're, right. they're just fun questions. We're going to have a good time. Uh, let's do this. Ready? Okay. Yes. What's your favorite movie? Oh my gosh. Uh, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. All right. If you were given $1 million, what would be your first purchase? Uh, better computer. <laughs> uh, your favorite pro sports team outside of the Pacers? Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. Okay. Uh, favorite restaurant in, or yeah, favorite restaurant. I really like the Eagle in downtown Indy, but I think my favorite restaurant is going to be Pearl Street Pizzeria. Ooh, okay. Uh, favorite thing to do in your free time? You're at 30 seconds. Uh, play Rocket League. It's a video game. I don't know how many of your listeners will oh, know what that is. Uh, fair. Uh, if you could <laughs> pick one superpower, what would it be? Wow. Teleportation. I liked it. Okay. Uh, best piece of a brownie, the middle, the edge, or the corner? Oh, middle, 100%. <laughs> I completely agree. If you weren't uh, doing what you're doing right now, how would you be making a living? Uh, I have a full-time job that isn't basketball, uh, so I would say data analysis. But okay. if that counts as, oh, no, I forgot I only had 60 seconds. Never mind. I won't finish the answer. So I'll just say that. <laughs> I liked it, Tony. Was that all 10? Was that all 10 questions? Oh, we got through. We only did eight, Tony. What? I went more than six seconds on some of those? That's crazy. <laughs> what were the last two questions? I maybe won't answer them, but I want to know what they were. Um, well, uh, favorite university outside of IU, obviously. That's, that's okay. where you went. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, good, good question. Uh, I, I liked Purdue as a kid, which is ironic, but I'm not going to. That is. <laughs> you know, my parents went to Ball State, so let's, uh, that's, that's where you go. Let's go with Ball State. Sure, sure. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, your favorite sport outside of basketball? Oh, baseball. Definitely. Easy. Okay. There it is. Tony, easy, oh, that's everybody. Cool. That was stressful. It shouldn't have been stressful. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, we, we try to keep our our guests on their toes. So Tony, thank you so much for joining me today on small town sports talk. I had a great time. Uh, looking forward to, to hopefully hearing all the people that enjoyed this and listened. Thank you, Andrew. Sure thing. Uh, that will do it for our Indiana Pacers podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure to check out all of our podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be Apple music or Apple podcast, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. I'm Andrew Willett. Next week, we'll get Jonah Freeman in there. And then this week, Tony East for the Indiana Pacers. That's S2 Square. Thank you.